Thanks for tuning in today. This is the Men Podcast with Joe Roeder from Red's Fly Shop. I did a couple of days of guiding this last week, and then I taught a European-style nymphing clinic on Saturday. And as always, I am learning. Even after 20 years of professional guiding, I am still picking up on so much stuff, and I love sharing it with you guys, so hopefully I can drop a few little knowledge bombs on this short podcast that help make your cold weather fishing uh, a bit more effective. So, uh, no, I always forget to mention this, but shop online with Reds. Redsflyfishing.com is our online store. If you haven't been a customer of ours, go do it. Buy some stuff. Uh, we ship fast, ship free, all that. Follow us on Instagram to see kind of what we're up to uh, that's great for river reports if you share some of the same waters that we do. Uh, Instagram and uh, if you're if you're over 40, Facebook, uh, like myself, uh, is really helpful to get more real-time information on the bite. So uh, fished, I'll, I'll kind of audit a couple of trips I did. One of them was uh, late last week. It's just Friday. Today's Monday. So on Friday... Had a really great long-time guest and good friend of mine come over and kind of treat himself to a day of solo guiding. And he typically fishes, his name's Jim, he typically fishes, uh, you know, with some buddies of his or he might bring a business uh, associate over, treat him to a day on the river. So he usually fishes out of the back of the boat and doesn't really get to fish kind of the point position. And we end up not wade fishing a lot because it's more social when there's two anglers in the boat. So we did it a lot more like I think a lot of listeners here are going to be be fishing, and that was it was a lot more of kind of a do-it-yourself approach. I mean, we fished everything on foot. Um, we we had the drift boat, but we were swinging all day. We we committed to the swing, and that's super important. And uh, our, our approach is probably real similar to a lot of other folks that are either wade fishing or have a boat. Um, so it was like civilian-style fishing, I call it, kind of like non-guided. But uh, if you're going to be, you know, the first half of this podcast, we'll just we'll talk a little bit about trout space stuff, uh, what I learned, uh, how to make adjustments for colder water and uh, the fringe season or the off season, we'll call it. But if, if you're going to be successful, and this is true for trout spay fishing and it's true for just spay fishing in general, uh, whether it's trout or anadromous fish like steelhead or salmon, you really got to immerse yourself into it. You need to get not only good at casting so that you, you quit thinking about the casting and you start thinking about the fishing. And a lot of people fail to ever really get over that hump where all their concentration, their cognitive effort is being put towards learning how to cast. You know, they're still thinking about what their hands are supposed to be doing, how to cast. They fail to step downstream they fail to strategize as to what the you know the the presentation is supposed to be like. Generally speaking, they cast too. They attempt to cast too far. I won't say they cast too far, uh, but when they attempt to cast too far between the sink tip and the head, you you have to have that orientation appropriate for that fly to sweep through the run correctly. So you you really in order to be effective at it with consistent results you need to immerse yourself in it and that's going to mean probably several days or outings of really not catching fish or worrying about catching fish if it happens great 
but you got to get good at it. You know, the idea that you're, you're just going to get yourself a two-handed rod, you're going to go out and you're going to be successful on either day one, two, three, or four of learning how to do this is, it's kind of ludicrous. You know, you wouldn't learn how to cast a one-handed rod and expect those results, you know, your first time out with a one-handed rod. There's a learning curve to this thing. So uh, my buddy Jim, he he's really immersed himself in the spay fishing the last several times we've gone out. We've really done... We might have, we threw a dry fly a couple of times, you know, when we had hatches and stuff, but we really immersed, he's immersed himself in spay fishing to watch his casting begin to progress to the point where he's getting that nice, long, tight delivery where you're getting good turnover with your fly, your sink tip, your tippet, good clean swings, and then beginning to understand the swing and control the rate of which the fly lifts in the water column. I've talked a fair bit about that, and I did a video that's on our YouTube channel. If you scroll back about, oh, must have been sometime in like September. Yeah, September 2019, and uh, it was just last month or so. But it talked about how to time your, your, your presentation so that you control the fly's rise and where that fly rises, which is really critical. So you have to get beyond the casting part in order to get the presentation part of the space swing, the trout space swing, or just the the swing with a sinking fly and sink tip in general, you have to get good at it in order to expect results. So if you're listening to this and you've had limited success with trout spay, or even if you've had success and you want to get better, stay focused on it. You know, it's okay to punt the ball and lose and maybe lose a few opportunities on nymphs in the short run to gain uh, prowess with with a swung fly or two-handed rod later on. So can't encourage you to do that enough. So on Friday, we kind of made the decision before we even went out. Um, you know, the water had cooled down. The The temperature that morning was 19 or 20 degrees at, at my house, just north of where we were fishing, about 15 miles. And we're fishing in the Yakima River Canyon, which is pretty good-sized western stream. Not huge, but big enough to be mysterious and, and challenge us with a few long casts. And we set up our gear a little bit differently in the morning. We both uh, got this this new line that's available. It's it's not new idea. It's just new product. But it's called uh, the Olympic Peninsula Skagit Tactics, or OPST uh, is the acronym, the OPST Commando Groove. And it, it's not a new idea at all. It's a it's a Skagit head that sinks slowly. And that slow sinking of the head allows you to swing a fly, not just deeper. That could certainly, that could certainly be true, but it swings slower because the fastest currents in the river are going to be on the surface. And so you can imagine these kind of high altitude currents or like a high altitude wind almost pushing that floating head out through the run and it just pulls your fly across the river a bit faster and you don't get to ha- you don't get the hang time out in the the pools like you do with an intermediate head. So I've used an intermediate Skagit head a lot for steelhead and I had been using the scientific anglers integrated Skagit intermediate which is a it's an integrated line so that means the head, you know, that does the the casting, the heavy part, right? It's got the weight is connected to the running line all in one contiguous piece. And it's a great line. I, I 
I, it's fine line. Um, if you'd like an integrated line, I think it's the best integrated product that's out there. But I per- personally prefer a modular head if I'm going to be dedicated to swinging. And that means I can use mono running line, which just shoots with more ease. And I can all, I can rotate heads. I can just take the head off and put a different one on, which is great. For 60 bucks, I can totally change the nature of how my setup fishes. And I can still use the same running line and I can still use the same sink tips. So there's value to having that modular system. So we both were using that system. We bought these OPST uh, Commando Groove intermediate sinking lines. And uh, there's lots that I like about them, but mostly it's that slow hang time that you get in the in the pools or the, the bigger runs uh, in colder water where fish are much more lethargic. And we had great success. We landed... Uh, somewhere around seven trout, which we felt was, was good for the time we were out. And they were all solid trout, you know, which is what tends to happen in the off season. Um, fish get bigger, there's a few less of them, but, uh, they get bigger. And so we, we, we felt like that was great success. We had no, no issues generating enough action for ourselves, but, uh, Getting that real slow hang time in those pools is really critical, especially if you're immersing yourself in the swing, you're dedicated to it. I can't tell you how helpful that is, being able to just swap heads and have the right head for the job. Inversely, if it's if the water temperatures are warm and I'm fishing f- really fast little buckets in short swings or I'm fishing structure, uh, I actually prefer the floating heads in faster water. I, I don't necessarily think that the the intermediate heads get deeper. I want to make sure and address that. That's not just the goal. The intermediate heads are designed to just fish slower. And uh, if I'm using a weighted fly and a fast sinking tip, I can mend floating heads better and dead drift the tip and probably get my fly deeper with a floating head. So I want to make sure that I am very clear in saying this. The, the next component of it is when you're, when you're swinging in water temperatures that are say 40 degrees, you know, or colder, um, the fish are likely going to be lethargic. They're not going to be explosive, um, and really, you know, chase down your fly with the exception of, you know, limited number of circumstance, but those are anomalies. Most fish are going to be pretty sluggish to the fly. You're going to have to convince them to get to the fly and offer them a slow moving presentation. Everything in the river moves a little slower when things are cold, including the bait fish that they're pursuing. But the next component of it is the sink tip. And uh, I've said this a hundred times, but I want to make sure that it's always clear, especially if you're not um, totally privy to the term sink tip versus sinking leader or poly leader. Those two terms can be used interchangeably. Um, a sink tip is much heavier. Um, it's like fly line. Uh, and it has a weight to it, much like your five-weight line is lighter than your eight-weight line. And both could sink or both could float, but one's thicker than another. Uh, sink tips are like fly line, and Skagit heads are designed to have a sink tip complete them. So without the sink tip, they generally don't have enough weight in order to load the rod of which they were made for. So there's a sink tip. And OPST makes some great products. They're riffle run bucket series in various weights. If you're trout spay fishing, you're going to be using, I think it's 96 grains. Um, so, uh, you, you can see this. It's all on our online store. If you just do a search for OPST, you'll get, 
a bunch of products that come up. That's probably the easiest way to find this stuff. But the OPST sync tips are great. Um, I, I personally favor if I, if I'm not using really, really big flies, I personally favor poly leaders because they're skinnier and I just think they present in the, in the, in the calmer, more open water that we're often fishing when it's cold. I like the way a skinny poly leader presents a fly. I think it's a little stealthier. I tend to get a few more bites. Uh, understanding that, understanding that a poly leader is only going to be about 50 grains or so. And so some setups, depending if you already have a setup and you're like, well, I want to use a poly leader, it might feel a little bit light on your, the, the head. Inversely, if you're casting an OPST or Skagit head with a traditional sink tip and it feels heavy and the rod has too much flex and it's sluggish, there's nothing stopping you from trying to super tune that thing and trying to poly leader. So I would really encourage you, if you haven't got poly leaders, go get some poly leaders. They're useful for all your rod weights. And personally, I'm using a Winston Boron 3 Microspace 4 weight. And most of the time, I'm fishing an OPST head, and I'm fishing uh, Scientific Angler's Sonar sinking leader, 10-foot sinking leader on that. And uh, for me, I, I got the, the 200 and, uh, gosh, what I get? A 250 grain OPST Commando Groove head on my four weight. I wish I would have got the 275 or even the 300 because I personally prefer poly leaders. I think if you just go to the redsflyfishing.com site and you scroll down to the bottom, there's some resources. And uh, one of them is like a trout spay line selection guide. If you just stick to that and get yourself a sink tip, get yourself a poly leader, and fly weight makes a difference too. But you can use those interchangeably. And I would encourage if you're already trout spay fishing, you know, super tune your setup and figure out which one of those fishes better for you. Um, like I said, if you, if you have a head weight that's on the heavy side, you can tune it back by, by using a poly leader and they cut through the air really well. And I just like the way they present with, you know, mid-sized or reasonable size flies. Sink tips turn over and carry big, you know, big cone heads and rabbit strip type Dalai Lama type flies better. But for this cold water uh, excursion I had the other day, my setup was a the I still cast it really well myself, but it, it was a little light with that poly leader on there. I I bought that groove, that commando groove on 25 grains lighter than I normally would, and I wish I would have just bought it the same straight up as I get my other uh, my other OPST commando head um, at 275 on my four weight. Um, I think OPST, one of the guys in the shop told me they recommend getting 25 light. I'm just going to say go straight up on it. You can always tune back to Apollo Leader if you want. So anyway, my setup uh, for cold water, I'm fishing that groove. Uh, but sink rates are, th- there's a lot of misunderstanding on sink rates. So when you're <clears throat> swinging in cold water, a lot of the time, you're swinging slower water that's moving walking speed. And you don't need a real fast sink tip. See, all sink tips will sink to the bottom if you let them, whether they sink at one inch per second or seven inches per second. So in slower water, you have more elapsed time is a number of seconds to let your sink tip sink. 
if you're fishing too fast, too fast of a sink rate, and you're trying to swing those slow pools, your line simply won't swing through. It won't even present. It'll just die. And then you're forced to strip line, and then you're not really swinging flies anymore. You're just fishing streamers, which is which is fine. It'd be really effective. But if you enjoy letting that fly swing through peacefully, and then it gets interrupted by a fish jackhammer in that thing, then you got to have a light enough tip for it to swing through. So I fished a three inch per second SA sonar polyliter all day. Uh, I changed my fly weight a little bit to make sure that I was getting down in the, the deeper buckets and a few that had heavier currents on the surface. And I did just fine with that three inch per second because when I got in those big pools, I was able to pop it out at 90 degrees, give it a mend or two, gave it, you know, several seconds to get down. You know, I, I'm not even going to bother doing the math, but it doesn't sink when it's drifting on, on some tension at actually three inches per second. But I could cast 90 degrees, give it a big man, set it up, and I was getting plenty deep to, to pull fish out of those, those bigger pools. Uh, so consider your sink rate. You don't have to fish super fast sinking in, in cold water. You need something that will actually swing through. Uh, when in doubt, fish faster sinking tips and lighter flies. Uh, that's just a gen- general philosophy. Uh, and those lighter flies will continue moving. You'll snag less, uh, which is really helpful. And when then you do make contact, with, with something, it's more likely a fish, and you can read the strikes a little bit better uh, and be more reactive to that, too, when your fly isn't constantly hitting the top of, of every boulder. So uh, that was my setup. I used uh, 10-pound tippet. Uh, did some videos on tippet over the last couple weeks. important to understand there's, there's like leader material, which is like just general leader material, and then there's trout tippet by scientific anglers and trout tippet is super flexible it's it's supple it's meant to drift naturally and wander in current and then they're what they call just their tippet doesn't have a trout doesn't have the name trout and it's really stiff and that's going to be you could fish it for bass you could fish it for salmon steelhead saltwater whatever it's stiff and it's meant to turn over and that's what i personally like for my trout my trout spay fishing uh other stuff that i learned was uh making sure to fish till dark, that's a really important thing during the off-season. The warmest water of the day is generally, if you had a little bit of sun, a lot of the rocks along the edges get warm. A lot of the shallow water going through the bars is getting warmer because it's closer to the surface. When the air temperature gets warmer than the water, uh, a lot of times those fish will move up into the shallow edges right there in the evening. They won't be there in the morning, but they will wander up to the edge in the evening. And... Uh, Caught a couple of nice trout right at dark, uh, just making sure to fish, kind of backing out, standing shin deep, and letting my fly swing all the way up to the edge. And that's why it's also important to have that light sink tip in play, and that way you can finish those shallow water swings. And I simply switched up to an unweighted fly, <clears throat> fished shallow and short, brought that swing all the way in, and found a couple of really great trout uh up on the shallow edges on a very cold day, uh, but the fish definitely had moved out of the pools and were up and uh, enjoying a little bit warmer water up in the shallows. So felt like that was a really uh, that's a really key tip. And the other thing, learning to control your sink rates. I mentioned earlier, 
you can cast at 90 degrees and give give a setup a big man. You can get that thing down. But the opposite takes place when you need. Sometimes you need to keep it off the bottom, and that's where you cast downstream at an extremely steep angle, and make very sharp, clean casts. Where casting prowess enters the equation again, so that that fly hits and it's tight, and does not get a chance to sink and snag. I've guided hundreds and hundreds of people on trout spay trips, and snagging it's a real issue where people just don't have the line control and they don't have the casting prowess to make sure that setup is hitting tight they tend to hit with a lot of slack in the line that they might make a a bad cast that was underpowered they might overpower the cast and get get a lot of bounce back which creates slack in your sink tip allowing it to drop when you want it to actually be coming tight so steep downstream angles tight casts can help you keep that fly uh, off the bottom and you could also switch heads back it only takes about three less than five minutes total to stand on the side of the river and change shooting heads uh, and adjust properly to changing conditions so uh, it's not a big deal to change shooting heads uh, during the course of a fishing day uh, i do that a fair amount when i am steelhead fishing i'll fish floating heads or scandinavian style heads in the morning and uh, then either switch up to a Skagit or uh, a, a Skagit intermediate head during the day if I need to dig fish out of deeper spots. So the Trout Spay fishing uh, was productive. Um, felt like we had a great outing and I was always learning a lot. Wanted to share it with you guys. Uh, then Euro Nymph fishing. Uh, ran a good Euro Nymph fishing clinic uh, on Saturday. I actually had some guys drive all the way from Boise to get out in my class on Saturday, which was really kind of flattering that they they made the long drive from Idaho back over here uh, to Central Washington to get schooled up for me. So thanks, guys. Uh, appreciate that very much. Uh, and the Euro Nymphing, and I told the guys this in advance. They're I think we went out, we, we went through the, all the skills. There's, you know, there's a lot of information out there, but I'm going to kind of give you like the two minute summary of like the, the skeletal structure of what we studied in the clinic and then maybe you can replicate it. But, uh, leader setup is very important. Uh, learning how to customize your leader and tie in whiskers or depth markers in addition to the standard cider material that comes like on a Rio Euro nymphing leader. But getting actually some indicator, some cider material to customize your rig. Uh, there's small tackle items you just got to buy. If you even want to have a chance at getting good at this, don't cheap out on this tiny stub. Your time is too important. Get cider material. Get some tippet rings. Get like a Rio Euro nymphing leader to start and get some good heavy anchor flies. You can get all this. There's a, there's a section on our website if you go to shop by technique in the menu. There's European-style nymphing, and just everything you need is going to be right there on the page. But tippet rings, cider material, a couple of Rio Euro leaders to start with, and then 5X fluorocarbon. If you're just learning how to drift flies, 3X is okay for really heavy bugs so that you don't lose too many flies when you're just kind of figuring out how this works. But 5X sinks it. it the flies sink and fish way better on 5 and 6X. So we do, we do the leader setup. You can go watch a YouTube video on how to pimp out your Euro nymphing leader. I think that's what it's called. Did that two months ago. Uh, good tips on how to set up your leader right. And then on those Rio Euro nymphing leaders, one thing we do after we throw 
I like a longer cider. I like to tie some antennas in there. But then one thing we want to do is I like to cut off about three feet off the butt end of those Rio Euro nymphing leaders so that I can keep my fly line to, to leader connection outside my rod tip at all times. And that's a critical thing I've learned. I do that with the students that come through class. Uh, I don't want to have any knots sliding through the guides. So there's, there's an almost infinite number of ways to set up that leader, but that's how I've found a lot of success with, with folks learning how to do this right away is get the Rio Euro leader, um, modify the cider to tie in a couple of whiskers or antennas, little tags coming out so that you have a couple of points of reference. Uh, get some real tippet rings because you're going to bust off the one. You're eventually going to bust off the one the leader comes with, and you buy just buy some tippet rings so you're ready to set up. And then you're as you as you learn this skill, you need to fish with your cider out of the water in extremely shallow water. So the first thing I do with my students anymore after having done a lot of these little clinics where I'm doing a crash course, I've got three hours to get these folks you know, somewhat capable of producing a good day of fishing on their own with a totally new technique. Get in 12 inches of water that's moving at a fast walking speed, that's small gravel, learn how to learn how to make contact with the bottom, what it looks like, what it feels like, learn how to tow or lead your nymphs through a drift uh, without it stalling and with it maintaining contact the entire time. So you, you learn how to initiate contact with the bottom with your flies, you're reaching out and you're leading your nymphs through with with up up you know vertical tension up tension and downstream tension and those flies tap through the run the entire time. After we do that, we go find a drop off and we learn to fish a slope where our drift starts in very shallow water where we're we're towing or leading the nymphs through, and then our cider and our leader gets more vertical and we learn how to dip this dip down towards the cider and even into the cider to follow the topography of the bottom over a hill which is where european nymphing really takes you know excels and and takes on a a, a market advantage so that's the second step i like to do the third step is by that point we've we're really ready to go fishing and then you know each student is kind of at different levels or different understanding and we kind of break up from there but those three things understanding the setup learning how to initiate and maintain constant contact in shallow water with small gravel before you go into a deep spot where there's a lot of surprises that you can't see uh, do the shallow water thing first find a very distinct ledge learn how to fish the hill and maintain contact <clears throat> then it's time to go fishing and get yourself a lot of reps and just like I mentioned in this trout spay thing, you got to immerse yourself in it. If you're going to do it, do it. Don't just dabble in it a little bit here and there. You're, you're, you're not going to get out of it what you need to. You need a lot of reps. Certain people with urine nymphing rigs, they got the touch, they got the feel, and they kill it. Other folks don't stick with it long enough to get that touch and that feel and become proficient at it because there's kind of a lot of, you know, there's kind of a lot of voodoo stuff going on or sixth sense stuff or, you know, you got to use the force or however you want to describe it to, to, to earn those strikes and feel and sense those takes. Cause once you're initiating contact with the bottom, if you're in good water, you're getting more takes than you think. You've just got to get those fish to, to take it with confidence. And then you've got to be able to sense that strike the first time they bite the fly, hopefully. 
They're not real forgiving. They're not going to bite it four and five times until you learn how to do this. So it's it's a humbling experience. I I fished behind a couple of guys who are really extremely proficient at your nymphing more so than me, and it's really taught me that there's a lot to be learned here. So stick with it and get good at it. Uh, the the takeaway that I that I gave to the students uh, in in the class on Saturday or the clinic, whatever, I guess it's class. Uh, the, the takeaway I gave him was that you can get into Euronymphing, and it, it is deadly. It can be highly effective. Uh, it's a big advantage. I think it offers a do-it-yourself angler a really great tool to go to a river where they know there's trout, and they know they can get close to the trout, but they're having a tough time getting them to bite. They've tried nymphs. They've tried different strike indicators. They've tried lots of different stuff and dry flies, etc., and maybe they don't move around, maybe they, or they, maybe they don't have access to a lot of water where they can't, they don't have the luxury of floating 10 miles like we do as Western-style river guides. If you're one of those folks that wants to have better wade fishing, consider getting into European-style nymphing. We set up and sell rods and lines and setups every single day. You can do it, but you got to stick with it long enough to get good at it. Now, there are certain situations where it's a market advantage, and that is small to mid-sized water where you can get right near the trout. You have to get close to the fish. That is a prerequisite. What we find this time of year on big water, you know, like big Yakima River style water, I'm looking at the river right now and, you know, it's the size of, you know, a a big state highway, the width. I mean, it's like, it's a very significant stream. I don't know how many feet across it is right now, but it's a significant size stream. When the water gets cold, in the front half of the day and most of the day, with the exception of the evening time when the water, if we get a warm evening, those fish are out there in the big pools and it can be really hard to get close to them and stand close to these fish in the big pools. We we landed uh, everybody in the clinic, even on a tough day of fishing, caught fish in the class. They're, I think their first fish European style nymphing, which is great. Some nice trout got landed. Uh, only, I think, five trout came to hand for three people, but it was a success. We only really fished for about oh, an hour and a half or two hours. So it, it can be effective. So I'm not dismissing its effectiveness of your European-style nymph. You're like, no, Joe, it works awesome in cold water. Great. The, the problem it is, geographically speaking, when those fish are out there 30 feet in the middle of a big pool, it's very difficult to get a, a tight line drift of those fish. That, that's where we enter, you know, the, the crossover of taking your European style setup and clipping on an indicator and knowing when to use the indicator and when to Euronymph. So when you're in dis, on distinct ledges, you can get close to the fish, you're on very specific drop offs and things like that. European style nymphing, there's nothing better. When you're dealt with having to get drifts where you may need to be in a big open piece of water, where one, the fish may be out of reach, they might be 25, 30 feet away, which can be hard to get a tight line drift, especially if the water's five and six feet deep or more. When you're in those situations, the fish can also see the fly coming from a long ways away. So being able to feed line, be able to cast a long ways upstream, be able to throw some bends and maintain uh, a long drift, a traditional strike indicator drift is key. Know when you get into European style nymphing, it's not the end all. You can clip on a half-inch thingamabobber, a half-inch airlock, a New Zealand-style indicator. You could fish the edges first with a European-style rig, and then if you're a real killer, man, you'll you'll 
get an indicator on that setup. And you can often put it on the same setup. You'll have to play around with it and see how it casts for you. But you will be able to clip on an indicator and then reach out and drift those bigger tanks in bigger spots and get very have very, very effective fishing in that cold water. Additionally, this is my own hypothesis. This is kind of my uh, my closer, if you will, is my, my hypothesis is it seems like there are certain spots in the river the fish tend to congregate in the winter. And I, and I don't mean like, oh, well, this is a big hole. That's where they're going to congregate. Within like a big piece of water, I find that those trout in cold, cold conditions will pot up and congregate on very specific spots in a pretty small area. And my opinion is that those fish are crowding uh, interflow or seeps or springs of water with favorable temperatures. And they tend to crowd into those areas because they will hold in some pretty odd spots sometimes where it doesn't may not be the best structure uh, or the biggest part of the drop-off. But they tend to crowd into those. So once you hook, you know, if you're fishing in water that's 40 degrees, even a little colder, you know, like wintertime conditions, and you hook a fish, remember exactly where you were standing and remember where you were. In fact, if, you know, I've done some some podcasts or videos and stuff where I've mentioned this app, BaseMap, start using the little journal function in BaseMap, and it'll record the weather and the temperature and a don't think it does river flows, but it'll record like the weather conditions and stuff. If you do a little journal entry and you just take out your phone and <clears throat> you can make a little journal entry of where you were. And, you know, I caught six fish at the bottom of the run, blah, blah, blah. That information is unbelievably helpful, uh, you know, in the future. So think ahead a little bit. It's a great way to journal and geographically log where you're at, but also it logs a lot of the other uh, elements as well. It's kind of fun to be able to look back on it. And uh, you can also follow me on Base Map, Joe Roder at Red's Fly Shop. Uh, so if you go to basemap.com slash reds, uh, you can get on there and download the app for free at that link. Uh, and then uh, I think you can also get a discount on the pro version, which I strongly suggest. It's only 30 bucks a year. Super. It's like free at that rate. Anyway, basemap.com slash reds if you want to start journaling a little bit. But remember where you were when you caught those fish in cold weather because the fish, they do migrate around. A lot of the spots that were really good a couple weeks ago, they're dried up. And a lot of the spots that we didn't think much of are really good today. So uh, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Uh, you can also... Uh, check us out, uh, redsflyshop.com slash blog. Uh, sometimes if I have time, I'll actually take these podcasts and, and put up some of the gear and stuff right there on there. So redsflyshop.com slash blog. Uh, otherwise, I'll just catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening.